title of my message is When God Moves In. In a few moments, you'll have a better understanding of what exactly that means. Uh, but this past Thursday was the deadliest day for law enforcement officers in our country since 9-11. And I want us to take a moment to honor our fallen heroes and pray for their families because this occurred in our state, this occurred in our backyard. And so let's, let's pray. Lord, we come before you right now. We know that our, our country is being ripped and torn apart. There's great division. There's a spirit of anarchy and lawlessness and rebellion in our land. And Lord, you said if your people called by your name would humble themselves and pray and turn from their sins, that you would hear from heaven and heal their land. We pray, God, that you would bring healing to our land. We pray, Lord, for the wives and the children and the parents and the friends who lost these fallen heroes, who stood in the face of a homicidal maniac and defended the very protesters that were there protesting the police. We thank you, Father, for their courage and the ultimate sacrifice that they paid. We pray for all law enforcement personnel in our country right now who have been targeted and are under attack, and we pray your divine, supernatural protection around them. We thank you, Father God, that even out of chaos and evil, revival can come, and we pray for that, and we ask for that humbly in the name of Jesus Christ. Everyone said amen and amen. Did you know that the killing of police officers is up 44%? Did you hear me? The killing of police officers in our country is up 44% since 2015. And we have to understand something. Our law enforcement officers are the most dedicated public servants among us. They put their lives on the line each and every day to do what? To serve and protect. And here's what you need to know. Here are the real statistics and facts. The reality of proactive policing in our country has saved tens of thousands of minority lives since the mid-1990s. Look at what happened in Dallas this past Thursday. As gunshots were being fired and the crowd not knowing who were being targeted, the crowd ran from the gunshots and I witnessed this on the news live when it was happening as the police were running towards the danger. The crowd was running away from the danger. What a powerful image that was, that these dedicated men and women put on that uniform or wear that badge each and every day to stand between the very thin line between anarchy, chaos, civility, and safety and security. And law enforcement officers, they need our support and they need our prayers. And that's what we as a church are going to be committed to as much as possible moving forward. You also need to know something, that there are outright lies that are being perpetrated at the highest places in our land right now. Did you know that 12% of all whites and Hispanics, 12% of all whites and Hispanics who die of homicide are killed by police officers? 4% of all blacks or black homicide victims are killed by police officers. 4% of all homicides related to blacks are the result of uh, law enforcement intervention. 12% Hispanics and whites. So there's a much larger percentage of those who are dying at the hands of law enforcement, and 99.9% .9 of the time, it's in the line of duty in the protecting of human life.
But you wouldn't know that. You wouldn't know that listening to the mainstream media. 12% of, um, oh, they, they did a research in New York, and they found out that black and Hispanic officers are more likely to use deadly force than white officers. So here's what's going on. We need to be informed as to what is actually happening and see through the distortions and the misrepresentations because it is a feeding frenzy right now. And if you tell a lie loud enough and long enough, eventually everyone will begin to believe it. So I want to encourage you to stay informed, inform yourself, know the facts, know how to pray, know how to communicate truth and love, and know how in the days to come to vote. Be well informed. There's a book I highly recommend called uh, War on Cops by Heather MacDonald, and she gives extensive empirical research on this very topic. And we know there are times when there is gross negligence and or criminality related to a law enforcement officer using deadly force. Those are very rare instances. And when we see something flashed on the news or on social media, and we only see a small portion we don't know all the facts that went into that, and so you have to reserve judgment until due process takes place. But if people can exploit that for their own personal agendas to, to create more civil unrest, then that's what is taking place in our country right now. And listen to me very clear, clearly. It's not a black and white issue. It's not a brown and yellow issue. It is a good versus evil issue. And hear me very clearly. Good comes in all colors. And evil comes in all colors. And here's what's at stake. When law and order is not upheld, lawlessness will abound, making it unsafe for all of us. Over 200 people in St. Paul and other places have been arrested over the last 24-hour period. Gunshots have been fired at the police department in San Antonio. The greatest massacre of law enforcement officers since 9-11 just occurred here in Dallas, Texas uh, this past Thursday. Things are not going to get better. They may get worse. And we need, as God's people, to be on our knees praying and asking God for mercy. Why is that? I believe these are a sign of the times in which we are living. I'm going to read a verse of scripture to you this morning and understand the context that this verse, this one verse I'm going to read. It's out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 where the Apostle Paul is writing to the Christians of Thessalonica and he's talking about end times. He's talking about the coming of Christ. He's talking about before the, the true Messiah comes, the Antichrist or the pseudo false Messiah will come. Even the book of Revelation tells us that uh, one of the horsemen will be a white horse rider, which is a mockery of Jesus Christ. Uh, the devil is a counterfeiter of everything that God does. And so when the Antichrist comes on the scene, he will present himself to be a man of peace, but really he'll be a man of war. And so Paul tells us before the Antichrist can come on the scene, there has to be global chaos, global confusion, mass hysteria, and lawlessness must abound. And so in verse 7 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Here's what scripture says. The hidden plan to live without any law is at work now. 
but it will be secret only until the one who is holding it back is out of the way. The restraining force of the full force and power of evil and hell in our world today is the Holy Spirit. He is restraining and holding back. Why? Because these are the last days, and before Christ comes, there's going to be a great revival and a great outpouring of the Spirit of God promised to us in the book of Joel and reinforced in the book of Acts chapter 2 that in the last days God will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. But before the Antichrist can come on the scene promising peace around the world during the last seven years of of, uh, planet Earth, the seven-year tribulation period, the first three and a half years, the Antichrist comes on the scene and he offers peace and he offers a peace plan and people, for the sake of peace, will buy in to his lies. So first, there must be chaos and lawlessness must abound. And that's what we are seeing in our country and around the world right now. This lawlessness is driven by Satan and by the forces of darkness. Now, here's what you need to also understand. Jesus wrote seven letters to seven churches in the book of Revelation, the the last book of the Bible, uh, a book about end times. To one of the churches, the church of Pergamon, he makes this amazing and very radical statement. Look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 13. I am fully aware that you live in the city where Satan's throne is. You see, we think Satan's in hell. He's not. He's not bound in hell. He's not bound in the bottomless pit yet. Satan roams to and fro throughout the whole earth, the book of Job tells us. He's the prince and the power of the air. He is the spirit of the age. He is alive and active in our world today, and he literally resides in a given location. He's not omnipresent like God. He's not an an evil equivalent to God. He cannot be in one place and every place at the same time like God can be. But he is in one place, and he has emissaries. He has underlings that are stationed throughout our globe right now. We are engaged, and we have been engaged, in a great spiritual warfare and in a great spiritual conflict. And so the Bible is very clear, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. And Paul describes what that spiritual weaponry and that spiritual armor and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Our enemies are not flesh and blood, but evil spirits, wicked spirits in high places, principalities and powers that have been set up in our world. Daniel the prophet understood this because in the book of Daniel he was praying about Jerusalem. He was praying about uh, the judgment that they were experiencing in Babylon while he was held captive in Babylon. And as he was praying, spiritual warfare was going on. God sent the answer in the form of an angel to Daniel, but this, this angel messenger from heaven was withheld for 21 days by the prince of Persia. I believe it's in Daniel chapter 10 that you can read about this story. And what we understand is that there's this spiritual conflict, and the the archangel Michael had to come and fight against the prince of Persia to allow this messenger angel from heaven to get to the prophet Daniel to give him the response that God wanted. All that tells us that behind all the physical, behind this physical realm and all the physical things that are happening in our world right now, there is a spiritual battle that's raging for the heart and the souls of human beings. God wants your soul because he wants you in heaven. Satan wants your soul because he literally wants to drag you down to hell with him. And so Satan has a throne, and at the time of the writing of this letter, this message to the church at Pergamum, it was in this region, which is now modern-day Turkey. At the center of satanic worship 
And yet you've remained loyal to me and refused to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you by Satan's devotees. Satan has followers. Satan has devotees. Satan has individuals that are committed to his mission and his cause and his agenda. But aren't you glad that Jesus has devotees? Jesus has followers that are committed to the mission and the cause of Jesus Christ. And greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Aren't you glad that you're a part of the indestructible, eternal church of the Lord Jesus Christ? And the body of Christ is not a physical building, although we're thankful for our physical uh, buildings that we can gather in in our churches throughout the world and throughout our country. But these could be destroyed tomorrow, God forbid, but they could, they could be destroyed tomorrow, but the church will live on because the church is spiritual and you and I together, we are the church. Amen. I share this because every city has a spiritual dimension to it. Could have evil entities that reside within those cities, that set up thrones in those cities. Now, let me mention a few cities to you this morning. And what's the first thought, what's the first word that comes to your mind? Granted, in all these cities, God's work is present. In all these cities, there are good people. In all these cities, God loves all these cities and the people in those cities. But there are spiritual strongholds that exist in certain cities and, and countries and nations around the world. So when I say Las Vegas, you think of what? Sin. Uh, I think of lust, okay? So there's like a spirit of lust over Las Vegas, right? When I say New York, you think of, I think of greed. When I say Chicago, you think of, I think of violence. When I say Miami, you think of beaches, no drugs. There are evil entities that set up shop in these areas. And the spiritual battle in warfare is not just a natural one against criminal elements, right? But a spiritual one. Behind the earthly battles, there are spiritual, spiritual battles. Now, granted, there are also cities that rate high on the happiness index. Uh, for example, in America, the five happiest uh, cities in descending order, uh, city number five, Fort Collins, Colorado, was on that list. Uh, Barnes Table Town, Massachusetts, uh, number four. Uh, number three, Sarasota, Florida. Uh, number two, Salinas, California. And number one, Lubbock, Texas. <laughs> no, not really. Uh, they said Naples, Florida, but they didn't come visit Lubbock, so what do they know? You see, cities can become uh, the, a place where evil and Satan resides, or it can be a place where Christ is exalted, where Christ is uplifted. In the text that we're going to look at in Acts chapter 8, picking up where we left off from two weeks ago, uh, we are going to learn about Philip going to a place called Samaria. Now, you have to understand Samaria was a place that was despised and hated by the Jews because Samaria, according to the Jews, was filled with half-breeds half Jew and half something else. And there was great prejudice and great racism by the Jewish people against the Samaritans. But God loved the Samaritans. Uh, God loves the Samaritans in our world today. God loves every city in our world today. 
And Jesus loved the city of Samaria. And in John's Gospel, chapter 4, he told his disciples, we must go through Samaria. And his disciples were probably thinking, why would we want to go through that God-forsaken place? But Jesus had a heart and a love for the people of Samaria. And he went there and he preached, you know the story, he preached to a woman at a well. And she encountered Jesus and rushed back to the village and told everybody, I met the Messiah. And they came out and heard Jesus for themselves and a great revival broke out. But not everybody, not the entire city was evangelized at that particular time. Now fast forward, now this is the book of Acts and Philip comes on the scene and in Acts chapter 8 verse 5 we begin to read and it says this. Philip, for example, one of the deacons that was selected uh, in Acts chapter 6, remember Stephen died, we talked about that two weeks ago, so next man up, the next man up was Philip. So Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people about the Messiah, told the people about Jesus. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message. Say that with me. Eager to hear his message. God will bring cities. God will bring families. God will bring individuals. God will bring you. God will bring me to a place in our life when we are eager to hear the message of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were also witnessing, or they could, and, and to see the miraculous signs that he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. Who was screaming? The evil spirits were screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. Could you imagine if you were part of this uh, revival meeting, this, this uh, preaching of the gospel, and you're standing next to somebody, and all of a sudden they start contorting perhaps, or all of a sudden they start screaming in a, in a voice uh, and in a tone that doesn't sound human as demon evil spirits are leaving them? Uh, would you not be a little shocked? I mean, what if at the end of service today, that's probably not going to happen, but it could happen if anyone happened to be possessed of an evil spirit. And as we preach the power of Christ and the cross of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus under the power and the unction of the Holy Spirit, and we pray for people to be delivered, all of a sudden demons start uh, coming out of people's lives. Would you think, wow, I sure picked the right Sunday to come to church for the first time? This is what was happening here. And not only that, but people were receiving physical healings. Because Jesus said, these signs will follow them that believe. In my name, you will cast out devils. In my name, you will speak in new tongues. In my name, you will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So it goes on, verse 8. So there was great joy in that city. Let's say that together. So there was great joy in that city. So the question is, how and when does great joy come into a city. It's when the devil moves out and God moves in. If we want joy to come into our lives, if we want joy to come into our homes, if we want joy to come into our families, if we want joy to come into our cities, if we want joy to come into our nations, we must serve the devil his eviction notice. We must move the devil out so that God can move in. And when God moves in, the devil moves out. Now, here's what you need to know. Demon possession is real. I saw in the Washington Post this past week 
Uh, and I think I have it in the notes for you if you want to uh, jump to that link later on. But demon possession is on the rise in our world. Demon possession is on the rise in our country. Uh, there are people who are possessed with demons. You're like, wow, I thought it was all psychosis or they just needed psychiatric help. Well, there are people that need good psychiatric help, and it has nothing to do with demon spirits. But then there are people that all the psychiatric help in the world can't cure them. Why? Because they are possessed with an evil spirit. It is real, church family, and you need to understand that. Those of you that aren't Christians yet, demon possession is real. These horror movies that some of you like to go to that I avoid at all costs, all right, uh, that stuff is real. It, it is the demon. Now, the devil is not an equivalent to, you know, of, of evil power to God. He is powerless in comparison to God. But his power is real. He, the Bible tells us at the Last Supper that Satan entered Judas. So possession is when an evil spirit comes inside of a human being. Now, the devil wants to inhabit people. Why? Because he wants physical expression in this, this natural world of ours. He's a spiritual being, and in order to have physical expression, he must inhabit a physical body. We know that, that evil spirits inhabit people, but they will also inhabit animals. I had a dog once that was demon-possessed, I'm sure of it. <laughs> and when I first moved to Lubbock, my neighbor's dog was demon-possessed, would just bark all night. That's the devil, I tell you that much. <laughs> but in Mark 5, when Jesus casts a legion of demons, you can have, and, and people can have more than one demon in them, when he cast a legion, anywhere from two to 6,000 demons lived in this one man. Mark chapter 5, read it for yourself. Those demons went into a herd of swine. So, number one, they want to possess humans. Number two, they want to possess animals. And number three, they can attach themselves to inanimate objects. Demon, uh, false god, paraphernalia. Like kachina dolls, which were very popular in, the, in New Mexico. And in, um, in my upbringing, I was around kachina dolls. And... And evil spirits can attach themselves to this stuff. And you don't have to believe this story if you don't want to, but it's true. A friend of mine that I now pastored in my former church traveled overseas and brought back some false gods that he thought were just creative artistic artwork that he wanted to bring back home with him. He put them up on the mantle of his fireplace in his home. No sooner did he do that that literally all hell broke loose in his house. Sicknesses, attacks, accidents. Things were happening in rapid succession that had never happened before. He said, God, God, what is happening? What's going on here? And the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord directed him to those false gods that he had brought back. He thought they were just cute artwork. He took them. You don't have to believe this story. This is what he told me. I can't verify it, but I take him at his word. He took those, those demon false gods, threw them in the fireplace to burn them, and he heard screams as they were being burned. Now, I don't say that to scare you. I don't say that to alarm you, but I say that because... In Samaria, when the gospel was preached, people that had been bound by demons were set free. There are people in the city of Lubbock right now that are possessed with evil spirits. Uh, there are people in our city that are walking around possessed by the devil, and they need to be set free. And the beauty is they can be set free. Now, there are not that many people in Lubbock possessed with demons, but if you go visit Albuquerque, let me tell you, I was there this past week. They drive cars in, in, in Albuquerque. You could tell someone that's demon-possessed by the way they drive their car. But here's what Jesus said in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 21 and 22. For when a strong man like Satan is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions, his possessions, his possessions are safe. 
until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons, and carries off his belongings. You know what Jesus is saying in this verse? At, at, at some point in time, all of us belonged to Satan. And he treated you and he treated me as his possession. And he guarded and protected his possession. He had you and he had me bound by drugs or bound by alcohol or bound by greed or bound by perversion or bound by lust. He had us in his mental and emotional chains. We were his slave. We were his prisoner until someone stronger showed up by the name of Jesus, the Messiah. Woo, hallelujah. And at the cross of Calvary, he made a public spectacle of the enemy, triumphing over him at the cross, and he stripped him of his power, and he stripped him of his weapons, and he opened up the prison doors, and he said, come on, you're now free. Walk with me. Come on, can we thank him for that? Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. But if we want joy to come into our life, our marriages, our families, God has to move in. And when God moves in, the devil has to move out. You see, I don't believe a Christian that is blood-washed, spirit-baptized, Holy Spirit-filled, Bible-memorizing, Bible-quoting, Jesus-loving person can be possessed by an evil spirit. There ain't no way the Holy Ghost is going to share the temple, your temple, my temple, share your body, share my body, share us with the devil. Yeah, come on, move in, devil. You can have this part of their life. Oh, no, if the, devil, if the, if, if the spirit is present, no devil's going to come within 100 miles. But listen to me. You, as a Christian, can be oppressed of the devil. There's demon possession and there's demon oppression. Where God-fearing, God-loving men and women, as Jesus talked about in the Gospel of Luke, there was a woman who was bound by Satan for 18 years. She had a physical ailment. Not all physical ailments are satanically induced. I didn't say that. Some can be. This woman's happened to be in this story. She was a daughter of Abraham. She walked in covenant with, with God, and yet she was bound by this oppressive spirit. Jesus set her free. But if we want to experience joy, and we want God to move in. The devil must move out, and we must, listen, we must renounce, and we must turn away from all demonic activity in our lives, including but not limited to astrology, tarot cards, fortune-telling, Ouija board games, kachina dolls, and other false god paraphernalia, palm reading, fire walking, seances, spirit channeling, astral projection, hypno hypnotism, new age occultism, and any other activity that could be associated with demons and evil spirits, we must renounce it. In the book of Acts chapter 19, verse 19, when men and women gave their life to Jesus, they brought all their satanic paraphernalia, they brought all their witchcraft and all their books of, in of incantations, and they made a huge bonfire, and they burnt it all, and it was worth tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars because now they realize they no longer belong to Satan. They belong to Jesus. Can we thank God for that? So Philip goes down to Samaria and he preaches Jesus, the blood of Jesus, under the divine unction of the Holy Spirit, the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Old-fashioned spiritual warfare occurs and people were getting delivered and saved. Evil spirits coming out of people free for the first time. Could you imagine how these people went home and how their lives were changed? Women, women welcomed home a new husband 
who had previously been bound by demon spirits, oppressed by evil spirits, a, a husband filled with rage and anger and, and under the, the power of the enemy, comes home and now his countenance has changed and now his, his, he's a new man because Jesus has come into his heart. God moved in and the devil moved out. Imagine the young people that were a part of Philip's preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and they were bound to all kinds of evil tendencies and, and their evil ways and now they surrendered their life to Jesus and the spirit of God's now living inside of them and now they're changed and God's changed them from the inside out and they show up at home and they come home and their parents say, what happened to you? Where have you been? Who did you encounter? And with a smile on their face they said I met Jesus today at the preaching at that revival of that crazy Pentecostal guy by the name of Philip amen wow the power of God that's why the Apostle Paul said in Romans 1 16 I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ it's the power of God and salvation to everyone who believes so look at what happens next in verse 9 of our story it says a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. And everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. He had beguiled them. He had bewitched them. He brought them under a spell with his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Imagine the city of Samaria was under a satanic spell. You know, there are cities in our country and around the world that are under right now a satanic spell. They've been bewitched. Uh, let me take that a step further. There are churches in our country right now that have been bewitched. And the people in those churches are under a satanic spell. Oh, Carl, that's kind of radical. You know, that's kind of far out there. I mean, do you even have scripture to verify that? Yeah, read the book of Galatians. Paul, writing to the Galatians, he said, who hath bewitched you to turn you away from the gospel of Jesus Christ? There are priests and there are pastors and there are religious leaders and there are political leaders and there are business leaders in our land today and educators and entertainers in our land today. They are all under a satanic spell. And you need to recognize it. You need to be discerning. You need to perceive it. And you need to make sure that simony Simony is a term that comes from this individual in the Bible called Simon. That you are not under the influence of the spell of Simon or that simony is not being allowed in your world, in your life, and in your thinking. I want to make sure that not, any, that not one single person, the sound of my voice, is under, has been bewitched and is under some satanic spell. When I was in Albuquerque this past week, my family celebrating the 4th of July, and I hope yours was enjoyable and, and safe. Uh, through uh, relatives, there was a friend that one of the relatives invited, and we engaged in a conversation, and, and I, didn't, I didn't know where this young man was coming from. I come to find out that he was involved in an alternative lifestyle. And I just began to share the truth with him, rational, logical, biblical truth, just having a conversation like, like you and I would have a conversation. 
and challenging his thoughts. And I realized something. He had been bewitched. He had bought into the lie that's being perpetrated in our world today. And he became highly offended at the things I was saying. And later on, text a family member that said, I will never come and be a part of your gatherings again. And I would never come and be a part of a church of a man like that. And I'm like, whoa, what did I say? Other than he wasn't eager and ready to hear the message of Jesus yet. But I know God's word does not return back to him void, but it will accomplish what he set it forth to do. I believe seeds were either planted or seeds were watered. And I believe the day and time will come when those words will resonate inside his heart and soul and he'll surrender his life to Jesus and realize the plan that God has for his life. People under a spell of Satan. People who have been bewitched, people who are on the receiving end of satanic sorcery and magic incantations and spells, and it is as though they're there, they're present, but they're not there, and they need deliverance. And what can set people free? When God moves in, the devil has to move out. And there are three things that we need to do if we want to experience joy, like the Samaritans experienced joy. Number one, when the good news of Jesus Christ is preached and it's received, we're on our way to experiencing great joy. Number two, when Satan is bound in a person's life, when Jesus and the authority of Jesus is taken over any satanic possession or oppression in someone's life and they experience freedom, they can come to a place of great joy. And finally, number three, when God's power is experienced. When God's power is experienced. You know, today you can experience God's power on several levels. First of all, if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, today's a day of salvation. God loves you. He loves you just as you are, but he won't allow you to remain just as you are. And you can't change on your own. You can only change with God's help. And he can change you from the inside out. He wants to change you. You can become the person he destined and designed you to be because in your mother's womb you were separated and called unto God. Today can be the beginning of you walking in the fullness of who God's called you to be if you'll surrender your life to Jesus. Number two. I want to pray for those that are here today that need to rededicate their lives to Christ. You've been cold and indifferent, and you've been walking away from God and not walking with God. Today, you're not here by accident. Today, you're here to hear this message and for the Spirit of God to reach out to you through this message to say it's time to come home. The Father loves you. He wants fellowship with you. He misses you. He wants you to be in relationship with Him once again. Your life has purpose. And the things that you've been involved in that you know aren't good for you, it's time to renounce them and surrender them to the Lord. And then thirdly, I want to pray for those that are here today that are under oppression of any kind. You're under oppression. There's just something that's been oppressing you and, and that you've been struggling with. And I believe that the anointing is here. 
And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And the Bible says it's the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage. And so I want to pray for you right where you're seated. I'm not going to have you come to the front, but I want this to become a spiritual moment between you and God by the power of His Holy Spirit. So I want every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here as a Christian and none of my invitations apply to you, then just quietly pray in your seat for a moment. So first of all, if you're here today and you need to surrender your life to Christ, you've never surrendered your life to Christ and you would like to receive Jesus for the very first time, the free gift of eternal life, his love, grace, and forgiveness. It's a gift being offered to you right now. I want to pray for you, but I want to know who I'm about to pray with. So heads bowed, eyes closed. Just raise your hand and, uh, and look at me. Just make a connection here with me. I want to know who I'm about to pray with. Anyone at all? God bless you, my friend. God bless you, my friend. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. I see those hands right here. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you, my friend. I'm not going to embarrass anyone. I just want to, okay, God bless you. And as soon as I, I see you, you, you can put your hand back down. God bless you, my friend. Right here. Thank you. Anybody else? God bless you. You've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. God bless you. God bless you. I see that hand. Up in the balcony. Yes, thank you. I see those hands. Anyone else? This invitation is for all. Christ died for all. You're not here by accident. Thank you. One last time. If you haven't already, raised your hand. But you want to, thank you. I see that hand back there. You want to be included in this prayer to receive Christ for the very first time. Yes, I see your hand. Thank you. Excuse me if I don't, if I don't recognize you. God bless you. Thank you, thank you. God bless you, thank you. Yes, I see your hand up in the balcony. Okay, if you're here today and you need to rededicate your life to Christ, just lift your hand right now all over the auditorium. You say, I'm here, Pastor, I need to rededicate my life to the Lord. Okay, hands are going up everywhere. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this moment, Lord. Thank you in Jesus' name. Okay, you can put your hand down. Now, if you're here today and there's some kind of oppression and you really can't identify what it is, or maybe you know what it is, maybe it's something you've been battling with, maybe it's a sin, maybe it's some addiction, and maybe it's depression, maybe it's fear, maybe it's a sense of hopelessness, I I don't know, but there's just this oppression that's been over your life, like a cloud been hanging over your life, and you would like special prayer, just raise your hand all over the auditorium, just want to know who I'm about, okay, hands are going up everywhere, okay, God bless you, Father, you see each and every hand, all right, thank you, Lord, all right, so we're going to pray. First of all, we're going to pray for those that need to receive or rededicate their life to Christ. So let's all pray this prayer out loud together. Say it with your own mouth, mean it from your own heart. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my father, and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit and give me strength to live for you, serve you all the days of my life, beginning today for the rest of eternity. I renounce the enemy in my life. All the works of darkness... I turn from sin, I turn from evil to the true and living God. And by the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I declare God's power in my life, at work in my life, making me the person God has called me to be in Jesus' name. 
Now, Lord, I pray for everyone that's been under uh, attack of the enemy. I pray, Father God, your delivering power. I pray the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I declare the power of the blood of Jesus to cleanse and to redeem and to restore and to save. And I speak freedom and I speak power and liberty in the name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus Christ. I bind the strong man in Jesus' name. And I thank you for the delivering power of Jesus Christ. And I release now the victory of God, the blessing of God, and the anointing of God over every heart, over every life in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, those watching live video streaming, in Jesus' name, those that are in the chapel venue right now, in Jesus' name, and I declare whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Now let's thank God for his delivering power. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, God.